0: It is incredibly difficult to move in a direction your eyes are not looking, especially if you're uncoordinated. I, you know, when, when your eyes are set on something, if you're trying to move a different direction, it is difficult. Our, our feet naturally follow our eyes we move in the direction our eyes are looking. We know this to be true when we've been driving before, I think most of us, right? We've been behind the wheel, something off to the side has caught our attention and we've looked that way and before we know it, we hear the rumbling of the rumble strips on the side of the road because our car has naturally drifted that direction. You don't have to raise your hand or admit to that today. Uh, We'll have confession time later, I guess, but... We naturally move in the direction our eyes are set. And what's true about about driving or walking is true about our everyday life as well. We naturally drift towards whatever we set our eyes on. If we set our eyes on God, then our hearts and our minds will follow, our feet will follow. We will move in a more godly direction we set our eyes on success, then that will be the thing that we're thinking about, the thing that we're motivated by, the thing that we're moving towards, and we will gradually move in that direction. The same is true for negative things as well. For example, if your eyes are constantly set on everything your neighbor has, the better car, the bigger house, the better job, the better kids, you know, I don't know. But if your eyes are set on the things that your neighbor has, you will naturally become a greedier person. You will just move in that direction because that's where your eyes are set. The fact is you will move in the direction your eyes are set. And so today we're going to get a vision check. I see a lot of us with glasses in the room today. We're all going to leave here today with 2020 vision. Uh, I'll, I'll pray for you at a different time. It's not going to be that kind of miracle, but we're praying for a heart transformation today. We are all about life change here at Life Church, and today we're all going to get our vision checked. We are returning to the book of Titus. We're currently in a series called Next Level Leader as we've been walking through the book of Titus in the New Testament, the letter from Paul to Titus. And last week, Pastor Aaron talked about the greatest leaders are the greatest followers. If you want to be the best, most effective leader that God has created and called you to be, to lead yourself well, your family well, and others well, you must first relentlessly follow Jesus, and everything else will fall into line after that. Today we return to Titus to examine three more characteristics of next level leaders. Titus chapter two, you can grab your Bibles, turn there. We'll start in verse 11 and read a few verses today. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who were zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you everything that we're going to talk about today is predicated on the very start of what we read in verse 11. the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people that is the gospel that is the good news that is what we preach week in and week out here at life church we are all about that the grace of god has appeared in the flesh his name is jesus and he is the salvation and he offers that salvation to anyone that would accept that salvation. The gospel is for everyone. And according to this text, this truth of the gospel should focus our attention in three different directions. If you're taking notes, follow along with me this morning. Next level leaders look upward. That is the first direction that we look as Christ followers, as next level leaders, we look upward. We make sure that our vision is cast upward because the gospel redirects our worship. The gospel redirects our worship let's look back at our text for the grace of god that has appeared bringing salvation to all people that's the gospel it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and instead to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ one of the ways that we renounce ungodliness one of the ways that we move away from those negative things that were described here that we war against worldly passions that we live lives marked instead by self-control and by righteousness and by godliness is by keeping our eyes set on heavenly things paul actually points to one thing in particular here and he calls it our blessed hope i wonder How many people in here today know what Paul is referring to when he talks about blessed hope? I would imagine uh, our Bible school students know some. And then maybe some of uh, us with grayer hair might know what blessed hope is. And maybe if you've been in church for any length of time, maybe you are aware of what the blessed hope is. That is the return of Christ. Someday, in Paul's future, in our future, the return of Jesus to make all things right, our blessed hope. Growing up, I don't wanna spend much time here, but I I, I do wanna point out that growing up, the end times were all the rage. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like it was everywhere, it was in every, light, every song, every show, every church play, everyone was talking about the end times. So much so that some of us grew up terrified of the end times that would start with the rapture, right? I remember as a kid taking a nap, stretching my little leg out so that my foot would touch my dad so that i would just know if he were to disappear and go in the rapture so that i would just be prepared you know emotionally when i woke up from my nap um you probably had a moment like me where you woke up in the house and you were all alone confident that the rapture had taken place i didn't want to miss it right left behind was all of the rage at the time Even when I was at college, we had (laughs) televangelist uh, John Hagee who came and he had an entire week uh, where you could skip class for an extended chapel and he was up on stage with all of his dispensation charts spread across the stage walking us through systematically what the end times would look like and he would go through the glorious rapture of the church the tribulation armageddon the great white throne of judgment and all of the rest of the really clear events that are in the apocalyptic literature of the bible right and he would walk us through all of those things um you might not even know who john haggie is you might be very familiar with who john Hagee. is it doesn't matter but I want to make this point often in church and culture and everything the pendulum swings and maybe when I was growing up the pendulum had swung really hard and everything was in times well the pendulum is now swung and we live in a day and age where in the church at large the end times the blessed hope the rapture all of those things maybe aren't talked about enough I mean, when's the last time that you positively thought about the, the end times and anything related to that? Maybe uh, to try to course correct from the oversaturation of the end times, we've moved into a direction where the church has largely gone silent on the matter, possibly even overemphasizing the here and now at the expense of the there and then. Paul points Titus and is pointing us to reflect on and to look at and to eagerly wait for the imminent coming of Christ as something we shouldn't ignore, that we shouldn't put on the back burner, we shouldn't undervalue, but something that we should eagerly wait on. He calls it our blessed hope. This is a good thing. And Paul explains that our eyes directed towards heaven, looking at godly things, waiting for the return of Jesus, looking upward should should impact how we live our life here and now. That when we look upward, it should impact how we live our life here and now. In other words, we become more like what we worship. In a different letter of the Apostle Paul's, in Romans, he actually is talking about a people who know of God but don't actually know God. And he says this, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here in Romans, Paul describes the root sin, the fundamental sin, as idolatry. And we don't think much about idolatry today because most of us do not have a small carved idol at home that we walk to and that we bow before and worship. No, ours are more electronic. Ours are more visual, more mental rather than metal. But we have our own idols, we have our own gods. And Paul is describing this false worship as an improper exchange of glory. I want to camp out on the word glory for just a moment the Hebrew word for glory is actually kavod, and it means weight or importance the Greek word for glory means brilliance or beauty and when you take those two definitions weight and importance brilliance and beauty and combine those you get a well-rounded understanding of what glory means glory is when you give something incredible weight in your life and you find great beauty in it if we go all the way back to the beginning in the book of genesis adam and eve's sin at the at the core of their original sin was exchanging glory that was meant for god and instead giving it to lesser things Here, thousands of years later, that is still at the core of every one of our sins. When we take glory, weight, brilliance, beauty that was meant only for God, and we place it on smaller, lesser things. They might not be bad things, might not be evil things, but they're just not the best thing. They might even be good things, right? We put our glory and our weight and we find beauty in money or in the pursuit of money or romance or family, a good thing, a God-given thing, but when we put beauty and weight, when we give glory to those things instead of God and God alone, we are exchanging glory We are exchanging, it's an improper exchange of glory from glory that is meant to be given to God and God alone, and it is diffused into smaller and lesser things, which leads us into sin. I've heard it said before that sin is simply worship misdirected. The truth is we are all born worshipers. Everyone in this room, everyone outside of this room, we are born to worship. We are always perpetually worshiping. It's just a matter of who or what is the recipient of our worship. What is it in your life that you have given glory to? What is it in your life that you find ultimate beauty in, that you have given significant weight to? The gospel and the gospel alone has a way of transforming us so that we desire and so that we actively give glory, weight, beauty, brilliance to the right thing to the right one. The gospel redirects our worship. And if we worship our way into sin, the only way out of our sin is to worship our way out. So we don't focus. We don't look at the sin. We don't look at the things of this world. We turn our eyes upwards to look at God, to look at the one that deserves our worship and our glory, and we give it all to him. If you want to be a next-level leader in your family, in your workplace, in your church, you must get your priorities right, take your eyes off of the things of this world, and look upward to the one who is worthy of your worship. That's Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. We look upward. Secondly, next-level leaders look back. Next-level leaders look back. In our text in verse 14 it says that jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works let's talk about lawlessness right uh, there are some people in this room oh, first of all let's do this everyone has a bc we all have a before Christ, what our life was like before Christ. And some of us in this room have a clear picture of a life swathed in sin. There are people in this room, and I don't want anyone to be scared, but there are people in this room that spent jail time. Raise your, no, you don't have to. Uh, but there are, there are people in this room that slept around. There are people in this room that had a life that was dedicated to uh, some kind of like misbehavior, right? They, uh, a, a life of apathy or addiction. There are people in this room that have done some truly terrible things. And that was your BC. You're before christ but then jesus at some point in your story stepped in and transformed you in fact you you would say if people saw your bc and your after christ if they saw both of those versions they wouldn't even see the same person because of the the, the the diversity between the two you are a totally changed person the the old is passed away the old is dead and gone the new has come now i would like to talk to those of us like me that it's a little bit more blurry, your BC, because maybe you were, you were so young when you made that decision or you've had a relationship with God for as long as you could remember. I actually do want to see your hand. Could you raise your hand? If you like me, it's hard to kind of identify your BC. There's a few of us in this room, a few of us in this room. I wanna talk specifically to you for a moment. Whereas some of our brothers and sisters in this room look back at their life and they're able to thank God for what he delivered them out of, you and I are able to look back at our life and thank God for what he spared us from. We don't all need a rap sheet, right, as long as our arm in order to have a testimony of God's goodness. We don't all have to have been in prison to have a testimony of God's faithfulness. We we don't all have to have that, that rugged story in order to be grateful for God's forgiveness in our life. We're able to look back at what he protected us from, at the pain he spared us from, at the forgiveness he freely gave us time and time again when we did falter. And every single one of us should find it easy when we look back to develop a heart of gratefulness and a heart of gratitude when we look at the sacrifice of Jesus to redeem us from the lawlessness and to purify us for his own possession. The gospel transforms us by reminding us of our inability to save ourselves, and it transforms the way that we look at our past. Look, some of us, we don't like to think of what we once were and I get it, but the gospel should change the lenses with which we see our past not as this stain but as something that God has delivered us from if we didn't have that then we wouldn't have this and we as believers we don't turn back we don't turn back into a life of sin but we do occasionally glance back it's like the rearview mirror in your car you don't drive your car looking at your rearview mirror that would be dangerous but we do use the small rear view mirror to glance back at the things in our past so that we can rightfully adjust the direction that we are moving. We glance back seeing the life that we've left behind, not to drudge up ill feelings, but to stir up a heart of gratitude. God, thank you for what you delivered me from. Thank you, God. I'm so grateful that I'm not who I was you changed me, you spared me, you forgave me, and now you've set me apart for your own possession to do good works. We don't turn back, but we do glance back. We glance back, but we move forward. We glance back, but we move forward, which takes us to our final point. So far, we've discovered the next level leaders look upward in worship. We look back in gratefulness. And finally, we look forward with eager expectation. It raises, the gospel raises our expectation because we look forward at what God wants to do in and through our lives. We get a taste of what he's forming us into and we get to partner with him in all that he has in store to change the world around us. After describing the gospel and how it changes and empowers us, Paul calls Titus to action. He says this in verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. It's as if Paul is telling Titus that it's time to get to work. Like we have some stuff to do right now. You have a job to do and no one will be able to stop you from doing all that God has called you to do. So get up, wake up. Move forward. You've got something to do today. You're on mission. Our mission, Life Church, right? It exists to lead people to experience life change in Jesus. That is our mission. That is why we exist. That is what we wake up for. That is what we go to sleep. That's what puts us to bed at night, wakes us up in the morning. We are not a church content with sedentary salvation. We are active. We are wanting to do stuff. We are on mission each and every day. St. Augustine said it this way, the church is not a museum for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. It is not a museum for people to come and get old and decrepit and for us to move slow and just see the same people and say hi each and every week, right? It's, it's a hospital for saints. We are active, we are working, we are doing things to inspire life change in our own lives and in the lives around us. Here at Life Church, we are in mission every single day to lead people to experience life change in Jesus. That is our mission. The amazing thing is, you too. Are not only invited into that mission but you have a mission you have a purpose there is a reason that god has created you and placed you exactly where you are here today and due to age or due to life's circumstances due to sin due to our own Decisions and the decisions and choices that other people have inflicted upon us Many of us Stop waking up every morning on mission instead we wake up every morning to go to our nine-to-five We wake up every morning on routine We wake up every morning to check the boxes off of our checklist And some of us can recall when we had a dream, when we had this mission, when we had this fire burning inside of us to do something, to do something great. And we have abandoned that. Maybe you're in your 20s and you feel lost in the world. Like what even am I supposed to do with my life? You're walking around aimless unsure of who you're supposed to become why God placed you here in the first place maybe you're in your 50s 60s and you can remember the fervor you once had when you were younger but now you're just kind of existing wondering where the time has gone my guess is that Paul's last words to Titus here stand out to a few of us in this room. It's as if Paul was looking Titus directly in the eyes to say, let no one disregard you. People will try, but let no one disregard you. Let no thing stop you from doing all that God has called you to do. I wonder if there are some people in this room today who over time have felt disregarded because of your faith. And slowly but surely, it has caused you to shut up and sit down. To take a seat, to let life and the world pass you by. To let someone that's younger than you handle it. Someone that's more capable than you to handle it. Maybe there are some in this room today that have opted out of what God has called you to do because of what life has thrown at you. My encouragement for you today is the same as Paul gave to Titus. Let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you because of your age, You're not too young and you're not too old. Let no one disregard you because of your past mistakes. Your past sins and mistakes helped form you into the person that you are today. Sure, would it have been better without those? Yeah, absolutely. You can't go back and change time. But God can use what the enemy meant for evil and can turn it into good. Let no one disregard you. If you've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed, try again. Let no one disregard you. Maybe you're currently living in sin. The actions and the choices that you're making today are hard to break away from. Let no one disregard you. But it starts here. It starts with having our vision properly calibrated. Our vision set on the God things, not just the good things, but the God things. To have our vision cast upward, to see what God is doing and to eagerly wait for Jesus' return. To have our eyes glancing back at the things in our past, not proud of them, no longer controlled by them, but in gratefulness and gratitude that God has delivered us and spared us and brought us through. And to have our eyes set on the future, God, what do you have in store for me today? You're not done with me yet. Let no one disregard you. We're all going to have 2020 vision before we leave here today. And I know this is abnormal, but this is how we're going to conclude. Let me explain and then we'll do it. I'm gonna have us all stand and then I want to lead us through three vision and soul recalibrating prayers. I want to guide us through these three prayers so that we can leave here today with our vision set on the right things so that our feet will naturally move in that direction. So would you stand with me all across this room I'm going to lead us in these prayers, but my prayer over you does nothing. You should pray these things as well. The first prayer that we're going to pray is one that is upward in worship. This one's easy. We're going to pray and have our eyes set on Jesus. Don't even thank him for the things that he's done in your life. That's bringing it back here. Let's just look and thank God for who he is, for what he's done. Look at Jesus and and, and speak out the characteristics and the qualities of our God. Can we do that this morning? Come on, I'll lead, but you do it as well. Let's look upward in worship. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. You are so true. And we worship you for who you are, for what you've done. We praise you, Jesus. You are the light of the world. In our darkness, you shine brightly. You are our healer. You are our hope, your grace, covers all things. God, you are faithful. You are kind. You are good. You are true. You are our salvation and we worship you today. Can we take a moment now and look back in gratefulness? I don't know your life. I don't know your BC, but could you take a moment? Could you just look through the rearview mirror at the life that you have left behind and let that move your heart from worship to gratitude for what God has delivered you from, what God has spared you from. Come on, let's look backward in gratefulness. God, we are grateful, so grateful that we have new life in you. We are not who we were because you have delivered us, rescued us, saved us. We are now a new creation. We are not who we were, our past mistakes do not define us. Your grace covers a multitude of sins. We are so grateful. And then finally, can we look forward in expectation, asking God to open our eyes to the tasks before us to get on mission once again. Let no one disregard you, it's ready to be revived again for all that God has in store for us. God, you have created us on purpose for a purpose. I don't wanna go through life blind, deaf and dumb to the things that you have in store for me. God, you are inviting me to mission with you. So give me the eyes to see every opportunity that you set before me and the courage to do what is right in the moment so that lives might be changed for their good, for your glory, wake us up to the things that you have in store for us today. Now, God, we just pray that you'd give us 2020 vision. God, that we would be able to see clearly the leaders that you've called us to be. Lift our eyes and worship. Look back in gratefulness, look forward in eager expectation for all that you want to do in and through us today. Raise our expectations. We praise your holy name. and It's in Jesus' name we pray.